Hi everyone and a warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, transformational change and of course tech as a force for good. I'm your host, Professor Sally Eves, and in today's growing API economy, it's probably never mattered more to ensure we address a growing API security disconnect to optimize on all these opportunities. So complete and proactive API protection is an imperative for organizations of any size today. So building off the release of a no-name API security report, it couldn't be more timely to discuss exactly these insights, plus the latest in cybersecurity trends, technology, change management, and inclusive skills development too. So I'm delighted now to be joined by two superb guests from No Name Security, Carl Matson, CISO, and Philippe Verloy, Field CTO for Amir. Fantastic. So without further ado, Carl, Philippe, it's wonderful to welcome to the show. Great to have joined us. Uh, yeah, wonderful to be here, Sally. Uh, happy to uh, have a chat. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you, Sally. Pleasure to be here today. My absolute pleasure. Fantastic. So I always say to start the show, it's great to find out about the person or the people in this particular episode behind the tech. So perhaps we could do a little round robin just to share a little bit more about your roles and maybe something that's really kind of stood out to you in your career journey so far. It's just a kind of getting to know you question to start us off. So um, perhaps, Philippe, if I could go to you first. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've, I've worked on both the customer and the partner side for, uh, for quite a while, uh, since the late 90s. Uh, but I joined my first vendor in uh, 2007, uh, which was Citrix. And I've sort of been on the pre-sales slash technical marketing side ever since. So mostly worked with, uh, for vendors like Citrix, as I mentioned, Riverbed, VMware. And in my last role, I was at a data security startup where we built a API-first platform to combat ransomware. So that's really where I got interested into APIs, uh, the power of APIs, and also sort of the, the misunderstood nature of security controls around uh, around APIs. So that's why I joined NoName, uh, where I'm a technical evangelist today, and I, I focus on you know helping customers secure their, uh, their API estate. Fantastic. Thank you so much for setting the scene there. And Carl, if I could do the same question to you, please. Oh, yeah, Carl Matson. I'm the I'm the internal CISO for No Name Security. Um, so I lead the information security and IT teams here at the company. Um, I joined about a year ago. Uh, uh, my first time I've joined a, a, a startup and a, and, a, and a security vendor. Previously, I'd been a, a CISO in financial services. So I spent a few years in banking, a few years in, in mortgage industry as a CISO. Um, and, uh, and I was an early customer of no name. So my, uh, my sort of API security journey really came as part of uh, like open banking and digital transformation initiatives that my, our companies were undertaking, which made API security sort of a prominent priority for me as a, uh, as a defender. And so, um, in that process of, of working with, with no name, uh, and, and it's really early stages, I, I got a great affinity for, uh, the team and the platform. And then last year I decided to make the move and join the company myself. Oh, fantastic. I love that. It's great to see that. That really is a 360 view, isn't it? So brilliant. I love that kind of depth of experience and different roles coming to coming to bear from both of you there. Fantastic. So I'd love to drill into kind of our main topic area for, for today, which is really all things API economy. And we've seen this really, haven't we? I think in all roles, you know, whether it's our personal life or work or the hybridity across the two, APIs are driving so much change. They're a great enabler for our digital life today. Um, but also we're seeing, like with most things, there's always another side to it, to it, to an issue, isn't there? And we're also seeing a rise, for example, around API security threats as well. And I've just wanted to kind of set the scene, you know, as per our intro for the new report that you've brought out. So the no name API security report. 
It really is, I think, a mine of information. I'd like to drill into kind of the how, what, where, and why, really, of where that came about and why you wanted to invest in that research and why it matters so much. And Philip, perhaps you'd be best placed to set the scene on that. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, we are definitely being confronted with a, an enormous growth in API usage. Um, Carl uh, mentioned uh, open banking, for example, but there's digital transformation initiatives across most industries today. Um, so that growth in API usage, unfortunately, is also sparked an interest from the wrong people, if I can call it like that. So we do see uh, more and more people trying to abuse APIs for their own benefit. Um, so that's sort of why we felt we needed to increase maybe the overall awareness of this, if I can call it that, fairly new and maybe sometime misunderstood threat factor. So a study uncovering some real-world numbers felt like a good way uh, to provide this insight to the to the community at large. Now, we, we also did another uh, study a couple of months ago with uh, 451 Research, um, basically trying to index the number of APIs in use at, at different organizations and what we saw there is that it, it sometimes reached into the tens of thousands uh, of APIs. And in certain sectors, there's even a 200 plus percent growth uh, year over year. So that's also one of the reasons why we felt this follow-up study would be uh, super relevant. Um, I think then in terms of the, the, the who, what and where, as you said, so we asked about 600 C-level and, and senior security practitioners, uh, both in the US and in the UK, um, being in Europe myself, I think it's always a good idea to sort of get a good balance between uh, US-based uh, organizations and then also uh, Europe-based organizations. And we do see a bit of a difference uh, in the results of the study. So, uh, so also an interesting, uh, an interesting data point uh, there. Absolutely. I think those numbers really bring that to the fore as well. I think we've got a few issues I'm certainly seeing in terms of sprawl. So you mentioned there about API sprawl, and I think that's been understated. So I love the fact you brought that center stage. I think it's a huge one. I think we're seeing that in other areas as well, cloud to a degree. There's certainly tool sprawl as well. And you bring all those things together. And unfortunately, you can move from that enablement opportunity to something that actually adds in complexity. So I think it's so important to get this right. So let's, let's dive into those details a little bit more. And Carl, if I can bring you back in um, for that very area, if we could bring in some of the kind of the high level, kind of top level findings, if you will, around this rise in API security incidents and what the drivers for that change is. Um, I know we saw a lot. There's so much to dive in there for, you know, from dormant zombie APIs to web app firewalls, for example. So if we could drill into that, that'd be fantastic. One of the interesting observations that we kind of derive from this report is that two things are true simultaneously. One is that the risk factors on protecting and security APIs, those are those are familiar things, like whether it's penetration testing and authentication and protecting with web application firewalls. These are familiar concepts. It's not like these are um, entirely new, but what we find is that um, the, 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 the way that we apply controls to protect against application threats, um, it falls apart a lot with APIs. And so we, we so then we see authentication problems and APIs emerging. We see a web application firewall is not effective when it comes to APIs. And so there's a, there's a couple of things that this teaches us. So first, the first it teaches us is we have to look at these risks and the controls um, all the way across an API's entire life cycle. So like 
we penetration test an API pre-production, wonderful. And we, we validate that it is not susceptible to this attack, great. Um, but once we move it into production, have we are we observing that control continue to be effective over time because APIs drift? Or do we observe the, our web application firewall not capable of, of protecting that API? So I think what it really causes us to do is it is it causes us to sort of relearn this discipline of application security because actually the, the findings are not, these aren't, these aren't concepts we're not familiar with, um, but what it really does appear is that we need to remix the formula, apply them to an API ecosystem, um, because overwhelmingly these are achievable things. Authentication is achievable. Um, you know, protecting APIs from denial of service is very achievable. A perfect example. But if it's not protected by a web application firewall that protects against denial of service, then a web application, if it's not being used, is obviously irrelevant. So um, I really think what it, it prompts us to do is is reinventory our controls, reinventory ourselves, because these are familiar control points. Absolutely. No, I think that familiarity is so important to bring out there. And the fact that you're right, these things are achievable and getting those pillars of what you need to do right first is so key. It's like if you look at other areas of security, isn't it? I think if you drill down, it's around 98% of threats can actually be you know, negated through relatively basic cyber hygiene. So those pillars of doing the right things in the right way at the right time is absolutely spot on. So I love that point, Carl, about achievability there. Fantastic. And I'd love to look at some of the vertical differences. And Philip mentioned that right at the start of this as well. I love the fact that we've gone manual. You can see different things across verticals, but also geographical areas as well. So what would for you kind of stood out from a vertical perspective? Did you see any differences, for example, with, say, more legacy-based sectors um, versus more of the newer verticals that have really been at the heart of digital transformation today? Yeah, I, I think what the, the industry uh, vertical data tells us is that um, all industry verticals are sort of rapidly adopting an API-centric model for delivering products and services. But um, for industries uh, like financial services, um, perhaps those are industries that have, that have, they embrace the idea that this API channel is critical, needs to be secured. And so there's, there's some progress that's emerged in in some verticals, whereas like a vertical, perhaps it's manufacturing or perhaps healthcare and energy, the dependency on APIs is still very much there, but perhaps they haven't they haven't identified that as a top priority. Uh, and so they're they're a little behind the curve. Uh, and it's not because they're less API dependent, but there probably is, at least in a general sense, um, um, uh, a little late adoption of the idea that APIs are central to their business model. Um, you don't have to convince a bank that the mobile app is central to their business model. That's fairly obvious. Um, but it, it may be the case that if it's an energy or utility company or a healthcare system, that it, it isn't as patently obvious to them how much critical information and service is provided through that sort of API uh, channel. Uh, but But it is there and it is real. Absolutely. And I think it's also an area, you know, if this research was repeated, you know, in a few months time, I think with some of the changes that we're seeing in the energy sector in particular, you know, Europe being a case in point, such an acceleration in costs. You know, UK is just one example. It's around 80% that bills went up in October alone. And then it was another 45% on top of that too. So it's affecting businesses of all sizes today. And I think there's more appreciation, understanding around the smart monitoring around things like consumption and the use of APIs to get 
that data again at the right time to the right place and make it really embedded in organizational life today. So we've got a lot of change there. So I'd be interested to see how some of those verticals, particularly energy and utilities, move forward in terms of their API adoption, et cetera. So yeah, really dynamic times, I would say, Carl. Thank you. So, Philippe, if I could bring you back in on this one as well, one of the other areas I'd love to talk about is kind of this disconnect that ripples through the research as well. You know, in certain places, it may be even to the level of denial in terms of this perception around having adequate API protection in place and this semblance of API security and what's actually present. And we see this in the data. One, one thing really came to mind, so I'm going to look at this one, is 71% of respondents saying they have confidence in their API protection, yet a very similar number, so around 76%, were saying they've actually experienced an API security incident just in the last 12 months alone. So this, you know, intention, action, perception, reality, is rippling through the data for me when I look at this research. What's your take on this, Philip, and key implications you're seeing from that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things at play here. So to some extent, we are probably dealing with uh, different interpretations of what APIs mean and what API security means, even inside the same organization. So I think in general, we see a lot of people sort of equating APIs to traditional web applications. And as such, they rely or overly rely on existing security controls like web application firewalls and gateways, even though they are definitely valid controls and can provide a lot of that initial security around even web-based applications. Um, but solely relying on them sort of leads to, uh, I think, an increase in the number of security incidents. And that's why we're sort of seeing that, that disconnect. I think if you look at APIs, they expose many different vulnerabilities. Some of these vulnerabilities can absolutely be addressed by traditional tools. So you can implement things like, you know, rate limiting through a gateway uh, and such, but it already exposes an issue we uncover in the study, name, uh, namely that, you know, all APIs don't pass through your gateway. So the things that are not managed via a gateway or are not passing a web application firewall control are unknown to the organization. And if you're if it's unknown to you, you can't really protect it, right? So you cannot protect what you cannot see. And typically, and this is outside of the study, I would say, but typically if we talk to customers, we find between 20 to 30% of the API state to be unknown. Um, so that's going to be the first step is building that full inventory and full visibility in what you have. Otherwise, you're sort of clueless as how to uh, sufficiently protect those. Then if you look at traditional tools, again, like a, like a WAF, it's very hard for those tools to fully understand all the intricacies of each custom API endpoint. So these solutions, they're really built to block known attacks. So I used to uh, spend about 10 years uh, working for a web application firewall vendor, and I wrote a lot of uh, custom security um, uh, code to try and catch all of these known attacks, but, but it's really hard because for an API perspective, they all have a unique logic. And capturing that unique logic for each individual endpoint and then writing static controls against those, that's going to be an impossible, almost an impossible task. So I'm really not surprised to see that disconnect uh, between, let's say, the, the currently implemented security controls in place and then the rise in uh, API security. And Sally, can I add a... Uh, there's really two two ex two examples of that that uh, we sort of we see very regularly um, uh, first is a, a developer uh, p publishes an API that API goes into the production environment um, but that API is both internally addressable and it's externally addressable uh, and that was not the developer's intent 
And so we can discover that. We can discover that error of network configuration, which is that, okay, this, this API is publicly addressable, even though it was never supposed to be. That wasn't the developer's fault. That's a misconfiguration um, related to like network routing. Um, so there's a, there's a circumstance where you could say that the developer and the application security team, they were confident in that they were putting out an API that was high quality. And then in production, it fell apart because it was, it was, routed poorly. And then and the second is, uh, is, is around authentication. So uh, an organization that uses an API gateway, um, you know, at MuleSoft, Apogee, um, Axway, all these, so many of the, the API gateway is really the center of the nervous system for an API estate. Um, so let's say the developer publishes an API and that API is sort of leverages an authentication model that is smart and effective. Um, but the API gateway um, may not be enforcing that policy on the API. So then an, an, an attacker could get through without authentication, not because the API endpoint, the developer didn't do the wrong thing. There was a misconfiguration on the gateway. And so I think that's where um, um, developers of APIs and then the security and technology professionals on the like on the production side, um, they're not on the same page because maybe they're not speaking each other's language about what, what security and quality mean. And so those are just two examples that almost every organization has that those things manifesting themselves. And that's really just like the kind of example you see over and over again, which is um, s smart people uh, putting together good products, but the, the the totality of the recipe doesn't add up to a secure like production system. Absolutely, I love that example. I always like an analogy. I think that recipe one is a very good one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw on that if I may, because also we've got these new flavors that are coming in as well. I'm gonna go on that pun there. That for example, just on the developer side of things, the rise of citizen developers, the low code um, no code solutions that are coming in as well. So there's so much change in this area. So getting visibility right, looking for those unexpected areas and you're right it's absolutely not a developer fault it is a configuration issue so we're going to see more and more on that if we look at the speed and scale and scope of change we've had over the last couple of years as well all of these things coming together the new vectors of change we're having you know, more bad actors collaborating for for security um for example as well so much change happening so it's only going in one direction so things around reducing complexity increasing integration improving visibility absolutely core and again just going back to the the research study too that was something again where i found another difference so for example between uk and usa different approach and findings around monitoring and visibility around apis too did anything around that surprise you philip yeah i think we saw a number of differences in monitoring and visibilities of of apis between as you said uh the different countries surveyed so the the us and the uk especially when it comes to reporting in real time so more uh, UK respondents, uh, I believe around 30%, they sort of reported having full API inventories. Uh, but again, it's, it, it's a disconnect to your previous question because if they have a full inventory, like they wouldn't be in this situation. Um, but what they also say is that they, they believe they have a full inventory, but then at the same time, they're not 100% sure about what type of data is passing those APIs. So you might be able to identify APIs and API endpoints, but if you can't really see the type of data your APIs are carrying, you don't really have a full inventory uh, in, in the security sense of it. Um, in the US then, um, it, the, the number was a little bit lower. It was about 24%, uh, I believe. But then additionally, what we saw is that an increased number of respondents in the US, 40% plus, uh, they said they had visibility into the complete inventory of the APIs, but then lacked which sensitive data they were carrying, uh, which is roughly the same number, uh, roughly the same number in, in, in the UK. But it sort of suggests that 
maybe U.S. organizations are a little bit more concerned with API-driven growth than with with securing APIs uh, in in general. Now, I think if we look at sort of the data and potentially sensitive data that's being carried, that's sort of one of the main issues today, I think, when it comes to APIs, because the way APIs uh, are used, that sort of has changed over time. APIs are now really the pipelines inside an organization that carry data between applications and between consumers and uh, and that data. So it's typically the most valuable asset that an organization holds today um, is that data. So we really need to think through this in terms of data regulations, protecting that data and protecting access to that data uh, for which APIs sometimes are an unexpected entryway when it comes to existing security control. So definitely uh, an area of interest we need to spend uh, quite a bit more time uh, investigating. Absolutely, absolutely. And Carl, can I bring you back on this as well in terms of what surprised you most around what security professionals are saying that they're seeing or not seeing or believe they have in terms of API inventory? I think it's a really interesting area. Uh, Well, so let's let's pretend for a second that we weren't talking about APIs. And then I told you two things were true. Number one, Americans are overconfident and Europeans are slightly more concerned about protecting data. Would either of those things be a surprise? Uh, probably not. Um, so I think that what we really see is like we're seeing a like a very specific manifestation of that, which is uh, the, the the U.S. firms applying sort of like technical muscle to discover and create information, uh, and then we see the European firms um, maybe looking at it a little more nuanced at the data layer, um, not necessarily relying on on technical like the the, the horsepower of scanning uh, so much as as actually looking at um, sensitive data. Um, so I, I think the, to some degree, these are just, these are, they're almost like compatible reflections about the sensibilities of, of the people who perform these functions. And then that, and that, that, that feels right to me. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think there's a lot of data I've been involved in from a kind of PI perspective, which sounds like a detective, doesn't it? But it means principal investigator and it's kind of looking at changing consumers, but also ecosystem partners' perspectives and changing behaviours as well. And I think you're right. It's really drilling into things we're seeing elsewhere. It's not just API specific. I think that's absolutely spot on and a really good point to bring to the fore there. But one other thing I did want to drill into about this kind of perception area today is did you also see issues around kind of job role and how that affects perception? So in particular, I was looking at app security um, within the data, but also between CIOs and CISOs as well. Again, I found there were some interesting insights there around the difference that job role makes in terms of that level of perception difference. Yeah, this 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 once again becomes like the uh, one very specific manifestation of the disconnect. So um, let's take the an application security professional historically um, is involved with application development, um, testing and controls and policies and practices. Um, But it isn't the application security professional who is involved with like ongoing monitoring and incident response. So um, uh, application security as a discipline is sort of pre-production release. And then in production, you have security operations teams and others that care and feed for the assets. Um, So this is, and to some degree, a lot of security teams have, have done a really amazing job of putting together secure DevOps practices that now are inclusive of pre-production and operational, but we're all not there yet. And I think we, so we still see um, like application security professionals are, are probably just not aware of the downstream incidents, data leakage. Um, so for example, uh, let's say that let's say an API is um, subjected to and goes down because of a denial of service attack, just a 
run-of-the-mill denial service. Will the AppSec team even know about that? Perhaps not. They would never even find out because that was not that's not a part of their remit because they're focused on the new technology and the new development. So um, to have that feedback loop really is going to make a difference in, in getting to a higher like level of quality and standard in, in API security. I think that's such a good good example. And something else is ringing through my ears as you're talking there about the fact of that not being aware you, you were discussing there and about different technologies, for example, because older threats come back as well. I think that's sometimes something that's not, not included so much in the conversation. So off the top of my head, Emotech would be a good example of that as well. That threat that it looked like it had disappeared, but now again is one of the most leading malware delivery systems we have. And again, catalyzed more than anything by bad actors coming together to, to bring their, their threats to life. So again, that awareness of every level in terms of how teams work together, but also the different levels of threats and what can reimagine itself too, I think is really significant as well. So thank you, Con. Really, really interesting insights there. So we've discussed there quite a lot of different differences in perception and testing you mentioned there, Carl, as well, is something that, again, is an area, A, it's incredibly important, it's an imperative, but one where the reveal about the disconnect comes to the fore. So, for example, one of the other areas that came out from the differences was, for example, people saying that they're not actually testing their APIs for sign of abuse in real time. It was something around 10, 11% of respondents were saying that. Um, yet at the same time, two thirds were saying they're really confident that they've got protection in place around DSST, for example. What are you thinking about that, Philippe? Again, it seems quite alarming that that, that difference between, say, an 11% and 67% is quite a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. But it is um, really in line with my daily customer interactions, I must say. So when, when discussing API security testing and then existing DUST and SUST uh, tools, there is a disconnect. So there is a technical disconnect as well in understanding the actual capabilities um, and that sort of leads to a false sense of security in some cases. So if you look at existing SUST and DUST tools, um, there are some API blind spots in there, right? So if you think about uh, reachability, so in order for me to test an API, I must be able to consume that API. So I must be able to reach that API successfully. In other words, uh, if I can't reach the API, I can't build a full inventory of all of the endpoints uh, that that API is making available. So from a testing perspective, I'm missing certain aspects of the capability of that, uh, of that application, in this case, uh, an API. So a standard SAST or DAS tool really has no concept of what an API endpoint looks like. Um, so you're sort of starting off uh, flying blind, uh, so to speak. Um, I think then the biggest challenge when it comes to testing APIs is really understanding the business logic. Uh, so the business logic behind the APIs and how it relates to whoever is consuming that API at any given time. Um, I think a lot of security vulnerabilities are related to business logic errors and sort of understanding how you can manipulate the API to maybe expose a little bit more data than was intended. Uh, that's, that's really the sort of secret into um, testing an API sufficiently uh, when it comes to uh, security exposure. So, so you really need some dedicated, uh, dedicated tooling uh, to be able to do that. Fantastic. And it brings me on to another area as well. So as part of this approach to testing and kind of a shift left that we're seeing in many respects, what implications do you think that has on change management, particularly thinking from an agility point of view? So things like continuous integration, continuous deployment, and also the skills impact of this too. I'd love your take on that, Philippe. Yeah, I think as an industry in general, we talk a lot about shifting left, right? So shifting left to increase software quality specifically. Um, so we're trying to move a lot of tasks earlier in the app dev process, which is a, is a good idea. Uh, in our case, we're trying to move testing and security earlier in the development process. 
But to be able to successfully do that, I think we need to make sure that we're not burning out uh, developers because we're putting more and more work on their plate, so to speak. Um, so I think if you want to successfully shift left and shift security testing left, we need to do this in a seamless way. Um, so that's where we're starting to think about integration into existing workflows. So you mentioned CI/CD pipelines, for example. So developers are used to using a certain set of tools, uh, things that sort of get out of their way uh, are particularly interesting to them, I think. Uh, nothing will chase the developer away more quickly than like forcing them to use another tool with another user interface and then so, sort of starting from scratch. So the idea is how can we focus on integrating into the stack that they're already using, which might be something like Jenkins or Circle CI or Azure DevOps, you know, whatever their favorite flavor of, of their particular tool is, and then inject that API security context into the tool they're already using. So the idea is take away um, sort of any additional work and make it part of their natural sort of workflow, both from a tooling perspective, but also from a, from a process uh, perspective. So if you think about that, then in terms of shared responsibility, there's a lot of API stakeholders in an organizational typically, right? So developers for sure, but you also have the AppSec team we talked about. You have maybe the DevSecOps team, you have maybe the info security team, the platform team, the product team, et cetera. So everybody has tools and opinions about securing APIs and delivering those APIs securely. So the idea is how can we get them to collaborate together? And I think funnily enough, the answer is gonna be API integration. Everybody has a lot of tools, so if we can somehow tie these tools together and make it part of a natural workflow, I think that's going to be a sort of a winning, uh, a winning solution to this, uh, to this, uh, to this, to this problem. I don't believe we can ask every developer to become a subject matter expert when it comes to API security. So we somehow need to feed them that information from, let's say, the experts, which in this case are external, and we can do that through uh, through tooling and through processes. Perfect. Thank you very much. And I think you brought in an interesting point there as well about how this helps kind of reduce the burden too. Because another thing that's coming out a lot at the moment is kind of this burnout situation that we're having. So it's the right tools, not too many uh, too many tools either. So reducing that sprawl and making it the right one that's personalized to context, I think is huge. So I love that. Fantastic. And a lot of what you mentioned there as well, the word holism came to mind there about how we need to tackle this from a holistic approach. So it's from testing to right through to application development. It's about change management. It's about process skills. It's about shared responsibility. I'd love to kind of bring more of the no-name perspective to that, if I may, and bring you, Carl, back in just to talk about how you're assisting customers, how you're facilitating from that tech point of view, but all the other elements that underpin it as well. So I think that's how you really you know, scale results in this area. Yeah, and just tease, tease apart the, 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 the term shift left for, for, for a moment, which is um, uh, there's, there's, there's good shift left and there's bad shift left. The, the, the good shift left is empowering to the developer the bad shift left is emburdening the developer. Um, so I think what we want to start with is this sort of central thesis as a security team, which is that the central the the central hero of the story of IT is the developer. It's not the security team, uh, and we want to give the developer empowering capabilities rather than burdening capabilities. And so that, that's the that's the very careful careful what you wish for in shift left because um, you, we're 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 definitely going to fail if we if we burden the hero of our story with more baggage and and said what they need is they need fuel and they need food to 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 go through their journey effectively. Um, and so one of the things that we um, 
uh, we, we do as a as a practice, uh, we've developed a, a program called we call it the API workshop. And there's a couple of formulas for the workshop, but effectively, it's a um, it's like a, a live training range where um, any professional as a developer, as a security app, appsec, security operations, um, we can play the roles of attacker, defender, developer in a sort of a simulated ecosystem so that we can all practice and understand like here, here's what our respective roles are. Um, here's how we um, we can we all practice our roles and we can we can see the full picture, the geometry of the chessboard, and we understand what the other players in the chessboard need and what they do. Because uh, this this is a, a, a little bit of a tough challenge if we don't understand what our, if, if, if app developers don't understand what a security operations person does to defend against attacks, it's hard for them to, it's hard for any of us to put each other in, in, in someone else's shoes until we've practiced that and, and taken it out. So there's a version that we do at the workshop that's, I call it for the general public, it's a three and a half hour course. Um, and then there's versions that we do for customers, which are, are more specific to their environments and um, you know, whether it's like a, a 101 level or a 201 level, um, really getting into the weeds in terms of how API um, attack and defense and development configuration all all work as a as like a as like a new plane of of controlling APIs. So it, just as a side, so our, our, our workshop, nonamesecurity.com slash workshop. Um, we love to have people from all disciplines come and join for those workshops. They're virtual, they're in person. Um, and of course, then customers, then we do that. We do those workshops for on-site or virtual for a customer. Um, that's just a fantastic way to like, for all of us to level up, uh, level up our skill set and level up our understanding. I love that. I always say education and awareness and technology, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And I think walking in someone else's shoes, particularly for shared responsibility for cybersecurity, all roles, not just tech facing roles, need to have that experience. And there's nothing better than having that realistic kind of learning by doing approach. You know, even, for example, a friend of mine, um, quite senior, a particular organization, they, they had an issue on social media with their CEO account. Um, was effectively taken over in a growing area of concern at the moment, but they'd already practiced that a month beforehand. It was so interesting, the difference, you know, because every game, every department has a role to play and the comms around that was hugely significant too. And because they'd been through that scenario, it was much, much easier, much more seamless to address. And a lot of the problems have been identified in advance, if you see what I mean. So really interesting stuff. So great to hear about that. And we'll share more about those workshops, et cetera, in the show notes too. Fantastic. And as my kind of last closing piece um, here today, I'd love to ask this to both of you, if I may. I'd love to look at just the cybersecurity sector in a little bit more detail about closing some of the other gaps we've seen. One of those is definitely around diversity, I think particularly around security architecture and testing right up there in terms of those gaps. I think the pandemic actually has accelerated some of the gaps rather than reduced them because of obviously prioritization around resiliency and things um, and just how certain demographics have been more affected by churn. What are you? What would you like to share, if I may? Because I do a little series um, to encourage more people into industry, you know, break down those barriers, get people curious and confident about tech. If you had a couple of top tips or why would you like to be involved or even have no name supporting that too? You mentioned there about education, Carl. Could you share a little takeaway? And we'll be running that as an extra series too as part of our Visibility Matters when it comes to diversity in security and the benefits that brings. So, um, Philip, perhaps I'll go back to you first and then bring you back in, Carl. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, to be honest, I'm sort of jealous today about the, the wealth of information that's sort of available at your fingertips. At least that's what I tell my teenage son. He doesn't always agree with me on that. But, like, even through YouTube, you can find, like, so many valuable sources, recording of event sessions. You know, there's even people focusing on getting people into the field of 
uh, of cybersecurity in general. So people like Marcus Hutchins come to come to mind, Sean Hammond, and so on. So there's many people putting all of this out there freely available so you, you can easily consume it, which is a, a great resource. I think there's also, of course, podcasts like this one. There's meetups. There's all of these, um, let's say, events with low barriers to entry where you can sort of join and sort of uh, skill up or, or, or get into uh, cybersecurity. Um, uh, just to add on to, to what Carl just mentioned about uh, the API security workshop, so there's a bunch of open source tools as well that we leverage in that workshop. So um, the OWASP Foundation has tools um, specifically around testing APIs or securing APIs. One of them is called the Completely Ridiculous API, which is a, a good name, I think, uh, or Crappy. So, so essentially, it provides you with these tools where you can easily try to understand what does API security really mean? What can I do with it? How can I secure myself? How is it valuable to me as an organization or even as an individual? And how can I start pulling apart some of these threats and learning um, what it actually means. So there's a lot of that information actually freely uh, freely out there. Um, one additional resource I wanted to quickly mention is something that we provide as well from a, a no-name security perspective, uh, which is our virtual academy. So uh, on our website, um, I believe it's nonamesecurity.com slash learn. Uh, we have a virtual academy that sort of focuses, of course, on API security, um, but it's a free resource where you can go and without any no-name specifics, it uh, tells you about API security sort of from the start and helps you build through your knowledge base when you uh, when you sort of uh, follow along. Oh, that's superb. Thank you. We will definitely be sharing around that. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Great to see um, your commitment to that. I think it's so, so important. Brilliant. And Carl, if I can bring you back for, for your closing points on this. Thank you. Yeah, I think our, our, our challenges kind of come into two two categories. There's education and then there's opportunity. So like Philip really shared a ton of great resources. Um, focusing on the opportunity for a second, um, as a as an employer, as a corporation, like we're not going to we're not going to make an, a dent in creating opportunities unless we go out and make it happen. So there's two two organizations that we're closely involved with, and I, I hope anybody listening takes advantage of these resources. The first is called Cyversity. Uh, Cyversity is a is a is a platform for for bringing. Uh, underrepresented groups, women, minorities into the cybersecurity career field. And so like we'll have our jobs are posted specifically on the cybersecurity site because we want to encourage that opportunity. We want to put that in. We want to actively seek um, creating diversity and opportunity for, for people um, coming into the cybersecurity field. Uh, and then the second one is called the United Cybersecurity Alliance, UCA. Um, and the United Cybersecurity Alliance has this amazing program uh, that uh, that takes a hundred, uh, 100 women um, that um, want to make a move to the field of cybersecurity, and they go through a 100-day training course, boot camp, which is effectively a career conversion. So if they were an accountant or a project manager or a developer, it's 100 days of training, various certifications and courses, so that now that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a group of 100 women who are really well qualified to enter in this, the cybersecurity field. So um, so both Cybersity, United Cybersecurity Alliance, we, we've invested in those because that's that's our... Um, uh, our our attempt, like we've got to put our foot forward and and make opportunity present itself. We that that's how we get progress um, is by making it, it jobs jobs matter, uh, and let, we can we can we can do that. I love that. I think it really is summarizing. That's democratizing access to opportunity. It's building that awareness, building that confidence. I absolutely love that. I think it's I think that's fantastic. Honestly, I couldn't 
tell you how much of a difference that makes. There's somebody I've been doing a lot of mentoring with recently, and they told me they literally described kind of, do I press the button to you know to commit to taking up this opportunity? What if I get rejected? I haven't got a background in tech. I haven't got cloud skills. I haven't got this. It was all around that. And I think everybody's almost natural human tendency to, to maybe say what you haven't got rather than what you have. So helping people through that process, making it more easy, um, giving that peer-to-peer -peer support, I think is huge. And again, I think just generally when it comes to all forms of diversity, whether that's gender, whether it's neurodiversity or many other forms as well, if you help people move through that process, it's more than mentorship, it's sponsorship. It's that next level. So I think that's amazing. And what a great way to bring our conversation to a close. Carl, Philippe, thank you both. And thank you all for listening in too. We really appreciate your feedback. And as a reminder as well, all the examples from today's episode, plus links to the No Name Security Research, they're all available in the show notes. And all follow-on questions are most welcome too. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.